Just before we start the podcast, we would like to invite you to get a copy of our new book called Living From Your Art. You can find it on any Amazon platform. You will see it's a very bright colored orange and yellow uh, book cover and it was made for you artists because you help us live in a better world. We want to help you get more work. So thank you so much and let's start this podcast. Hello everyone! Hey, welcome for another episode of the Puppet Podcast. I'm Caroline, I'm doing this podcast with a lot of enthusiasm, with a lot of passion, and I'm so happy that today we have the chance to connect with British puppeteers and director, and it's so good to meet, let me just put the, the, the publicity here, yeah, Mervyn Miller! That will be so exciting. I don't know if you know his work. I Google and search and I saw his presence in his conference. He have done at the O'Neill conference. And it was so interesting. So I say, okay, let's let's do an episode about Mervyn Miller work. But before we go into the interview, I just want to let you know that we do this podcast to help the community, to build this community and just create connection between Uh, communities of puppeteers and we build also our patreon it's a um, it's a platform over there if you don't know patreon you must discover it it's a, a place where artists can put their work and and yes share it with their community so we have workshop to help puppeteers who want to build who want to do uh, online stuff who want to know how to to sell to do workshop online or Or whatever we have plenty of subject and one the next one who is coming i do a little commercial before we go it's the basic of ventriloquism with uh, satyajit who is a, a famous ventriloquist of india and we have the chance with the online world to bring him to our community so we are so glad so if you want to join us it's this weekend and it's on sunday morning Depends of where we are on earth, where you are. <laughs> so everyone, if you are with us, you, please just write in the chat from where you are watching. If you have any questions during the interview, feel free to put it and I will bring it into the screen and we will chat with Mervyn and just, yeah, ask him questions about, about his beautiful work. So ladies and gentlemen, drum roll for Mervyn Miller. <laughs> Hello, Caro. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. It's so much. It's so much enthusiasm. I'm excited. Yes, I, I, I pump it. I'm just like, yeah, let's let's make it a happening. We we chat about puppetry, and this is this is a moment. <laughs> Excellent. So, Mervyn, you you have done so much work and so much stuff. I I always ask the big challenge of presenting yourself. And I know it's hard, but maybe you can do it for the community who are watching right now. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm a, um, I'm a puppet designer, um, maker and director. Um, occasionally I'm a puppeteer, but not very often. I can usually find someone better to do that. Um, and um, yeah, I trained as a, as a theatre director originally, and I, I found myself using puppets and um, teaching puppetry and... Um, And now, yeah, I, I, I try and make a living um, <laughs> by doing whatever they'll let me. Um, 
And um, for many years, I was involved with the Handspring Puppet Company from South Africa, and I was involved in the development of uh, Warhorse, which is obviously very well known. Um, and that had a big influence naturally on, on my development and my career. And, um, and has led a lot of the work that I've been involved with since. So yeah, that, uh, that's kind of, yeah, where I come from. But um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be asked to go and work in different countries and in different contexts. Um, and um, sometimes that's in, usually it's in theatre. Uh, quite often I'm asked to do big puppets, uh, but it might be opera. Sometimes it's outdoors um, and um, I'm interested in doing things I haven't done before. So, yeah. that's a, that's a good purpose like as a, a, a creator I do think that I haven't done before like it's it's so great and you do a lot of giant stuff right yeah I mean I suppose um people saw the horses and they said oh yeah I'd love to have something like that but bigger so um that's that seems to be what I'm asked to do I don't know if I would do that <laughs> That's what I'd be doing if I was left to my own devices. But um, yeah, you know, people love um, spectacle. And I think um, what comes out of those, um, that style of puppetry that, that we do when we work with multiple puppeteers is a kind of degree of nuance and subtlety. And so I enjoy trying to combine those things, I guess. Yes, totally. Like I saw that you do also stills, puppeteers, and and a lot of different type of manipulation on on those show, and it's so interesting. And even a kite, like a puppet, is transforming in into a big kite. So this is kind of a yes, something new, right? Yeah, I mean that that project, the hatchling. I'm I'm sure we'll come on to talk about as we as we go, but it it's very fresh. It was only a few weeks ago, and. Um, it had been six years in the planning and we, um, yeah, it was a hugely ambitious project and we wanted to make a, a, a giant puppet that moved with as much subtlety as one of those uh, horse puppets. And, you know, I, I love the spectacle of um, giant puppets in the street, but they're they're very often quite limited in their emotional range. And they're, um, especially the bigger they are, the heavier they are, and the more mechanized they have to be. And so we started talking about how, how could we make a puppet like that really feel as responsive and um, emotionally supple, I suppose, that it could improvise. Uh -huh. And we got talking to a kite designer and a brilliant, um, a brilliant designer of, of many things called Carl Robertshaw, and he, designs stunt kites and theatre sets and he knows a lot about kind of ultralight technology and wind <laughs> and so um, this design emerged um, between Carl and me that um, that allows up to 14 or 15 people to hold up a puppet that's as big as a double-decker bus um, and it can improvise it's powered only by puppeteers there's no engines or or, or kind of um, mechanical machines under it and at the end of the show which is two days long um it wanders through the city for two days at the end of the show it metamorphoses into um its final form which is as a kite and uh, it takes off and um and flies and none of those things as far as i can tell well, um, were things that anyone had done before. So um, it was 
properly scary. But um, uh, I think one of the things that happens when you try and do those projects is that you bring together a group of people who believe in it. And um, throughout that process, both on the kind of small level of the creative team and the producers, and, and, and we had kind of visionary group of young producers behind it, um, but also on the on the bigger scale of not just the cast, which was 36 puppeteers, uh, many of whom we trained for that show, but also a bigger, a kind of bigger company of community performers who, who met it in the street and, and had uh, interactions with it. There was such a kind of wave of um, hope and belief that it was worth doing that um, you get it done. Yeah. <laughs> and that feels great. Yeah. Yes, that's so cool to try stuff new and, and to make people believe into it. This is kind of uh, something special that Puppetry have. And uh, yeah, Mervyn, are you ready now for the deep question of the Puppet Podcast? Bring them on. Well, okay, the deeper, the better. <laughs> yeah. I like to ask the why and what makes the art of Puppetry an art that you cherish? Um, yeah, I think um, I think puppets do something that, that 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 other art forms don't do, and 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 I think it's to do with the audience, really. Uh, you know, there's so many things that are brilliant about puppetry. You you get to um, you know you get to sculpt, you get to draw, you get to kind of um, make something in three dimensions and physical form. You you're able to move it and think about mechanisms, and there's so many beautiful artistic crafts that are involved in in the process but I think the thing that that's most important to me is the relationship between the performer and the audience that only seems to come in a puppetry performance and and that's what drew me to puppetry originally when I was when I was working with actors and I was experimenting with putting puppets in the shows and I and I saw that the audience engaged differently there's something mm. that they do that makes um, that makes them participate more in the creation of the character because the puppet uh, gives you the opportunity to imagine and I think you know when you talk about belief um, belief is really central um, you know it's a puppet and you know for me puppetry isn't about illusion it isn't about you know hiding the mechanisms we know it's a puppet and yet we know it's alive and that um that kind of double consciousness is enormously pleasurable to 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 make the audience to invite the audience to be complicit in that act of creation and to remind them that they're doing it they're making the show in front of you so that that feels that's why i think i'm endlessly curious about different ways of of um activating that kind of muscle in the audience and why it feels so vital in live performance particularly um and 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 so central perhaps it's why theater producers are, are so interested in puppetry again at the moment uh, at this time um but um yeah i mean i guess i i got drawn to puppetry because you're not going to get bored here <laughs> there's so many different elements that you bring together um you know it really is in a way that the complete theatrical form 
you know, with the sculpture movement and music and poetry and, and storytelling and, and, and all of the things that we value. Yeah. Yes. It's it's really interesting that you bring this awareness aspect of it, like the audience have kind of two way of seeing the object. And your company is called Significant Objects. So, so I feel you, you are really on the brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in objects. I mean, I like... Uh, you know, when I when I first started working with puppets, I, I I was always really interested in the material that they're made of, and and wanting things to be really made of wood or really made of rope or or whatever. And um, I'm not quite so strict with it now, but um, but both just pure object manipulation, uh -huh. I love the you know the engagement in the imagination of 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 knowing of seeing the history of a of a found object, um, but then also bringing that into the design world. The textures, the histories of of material materiality and your associations, yeah, it's an object, and we should cherish it as an object. I, uh, I, I, I can't, I can never be bothered to try and make skin look like skin, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's well said, and I want to know if you have an an anecdote, like the crush moment for puppetry. I think every practitioner have a moment where they say okay I get something here like a connection or an awareness of going higher I want to know yours yeah I mean I think I kind of ran away from puppetry for a long time I, I like I say I, you know I went to a, a, a not very glamorous you know I went to a normal school here in England and and they didn't teach drama at my school so when I went to university I was studying English literature and I was making shows um in my spare time at university and I didn't know that you shouldn't use puppets you know I, I didn't know that wasn't a, a, a kind of grown-up theatre um technique <laughs> so, and so everybody said oh that's that's an interesting choice you've made there which which is the English for wrong and um, <laughs> and so you know I I immediately stopped using puppets and went back to doing serious plays because I wanted to be taken seriously. And um, and the puppets crept back in again, you know, and the more I worked, the more I thought, no, actually, you know, I am interested in this. Um, but my peers, you know, in, in theatre were not really. And and it, and I was worried that this would impede my, my progress. And, and I suppose then I saw, I started to see some really amazing puppetry and... Um, You know, I remember seeing Handspring when they came. It must have been in the late '90s, and they were they were touring uh, one of their shows with William Kentridge, um, the Ubu and the Truth Commission. And I'd seen a lot of puppetry shows, and I'd been a bit disappointed with a lot of them. I'd kind of they'd been kind of show and tell. You know, I've made a nice puppet, and they didn't they didn't seem to be the theatre wasn't of a high as, as high a standard as what I was seeing in international theatre festivals. And yeah. And that Ubu show, when I saw it at the time in context, was just a great piece of theatre. The sound design was fantastic. The storytelling was fantastic. It was gripping from start to finish. And it happened to be performed partly by puppets. And the puppets earned their place and they were completely memorable. Um, and so there was, I felt an immediate connection with this company that were making the kind of work that I wanted to make. And and also some of the the work. There's a uh, there was a fantastic company called uh, Faulty Optic here that was very influential in the UK. Um, Kevin Glover and Liz Walker, who's still working 
in, in new companies. Um, and they made these extraordinary worlds that were so weird and all consuming. Um, and so, yeah, you know, as you start to work, you start to find your reference points and you start to say, yes, this, this world contains, you know, really high, um, high standards. And, and that's what I, what I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, I guess I was inspired by them. And, yeah. you know, it's such a, it's such a different world now. Um, with the the connectivity that we have um because now you know every day i you know if if i if i can <laughs> i can't avoid scrolling through the internet you know and you try try to stay off as much as you can but um you know there's amazing puppets everywhere <laughs> it's a bit depressing sometimes <laughs> kind of there's so much inspiration around now um it feels like a, a long distance away, this idea of being, um, you know, I was in London, so I was hardly isolated, but um, uh, having to wait for someone to visit to see inspiring work, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. The the web changed a bit, the, the scene or our imagination either. Yeah, and the way that we can, you know, I mean, I guess our engagement, you know, what, what we don't have with the web is that we're not locked in the room with that show for an hour mm -hmm. um and um and you know and sometimes you know we've all been to shows where we didn't want to be locked in the room for that long but you know for the show to have its full effect you've got to be there you know we know that yeah. and um uh and yeah you know so so yeah there is there are so many inspiring companies and makers now Totally. I totally agree. And I, I want to ask you also about the field of study, the best one for a puppeteer or someone that you, you like to work with. What what you try to 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 found in a puppeteer when when you find a good one for your show? Yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because it um I suppose the meaning of puppeteer has changed during my career and um You know, I think when I was um, when I was younger, I feel like there were still quite a lot of puppeteers who did everything, and there are still some of those. There are fewer of them. I mean, I, the kind of puppeteers who I usually work with now are dedicated performers, typically. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, from that point of view, the more performance skills you have, you know, the better because it makes you a versatile performer. You you're more likely to be able to understand all the reference points points that we might be talking about. Um, and very often I'm, I'm asked to cast people who aren't puppeteers who are going to learn. And, and a lot of my, my work and, and the, the ideas that have gone into the, I have a book of um, training exercises mm -hmm. and, and those, those were inspired by this process of, how do you take an actor and teach them that puppetry is not frightening and confusing and difficult? It's actually, it's something that fundamentally they, they know how to do if they can have the sensitivity mm -hmm. and the self-awareness and the technical control to channel that performance into an object. So for me, being training as an actor is not an obstacle to being a puppeteer, but you need more than that. <laughs> you know, you need also the humility to, to allow the, to allow the, the the focus to go away from you onto the onto the object, the the humility to share the performance with other people, um, and as I've said, often I'm working with 
two or three or more puppeteers to make one character. And um, for them, for them to surrender their ego in the service of the character is a is something that doesn't come easily to every performer. Yeah. But I think if you if you're talking about puppetry artists more widely, um, I think you should be you should study everything you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should stay curious. And um, there's a I'm involved in a, a puppetry school here, which is called the Curious School, and um, uh, and it's it's well named. You know, it, it, yeah. if you if you're going to be a good puppeteer, you are interested in in everything about performance. You're interested in rhythm and, and 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 voice and text, and you want to understand the nuances of body language, you want to understand psychology. Um, I think, you know, once, if you're going to put yourself in that place of designing and making and creating puppet theater, you, you need to, you need to stay open to the world and, and read what you can and do what you can. But more importantly, you've got to make, make stuff. So, you know, if someone's young and they're asking for advice, I don't give them the 10 minutes of waffle I just gave you. I, I, I tell them to make make shows, make shows, just make shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, perform, let's do it. And um, I love, I, I don't know if I heard well, did you write a book about those techniques? Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, I should have one, shouldn't I? Um, yes, I have. I have. Yeah, it's inverse. <laughs> so um, it's called Puppetry, How to Do It. Um, and um, it is, you know, we taught, when we started doing Warhorse, we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't know how the puppets worked. And uh -huh. that's how most puppet shows are made. That's how most shows of any kind are made. You, you, you've got to make the show by a certain date and you just, you just don't do it. And then... Um, when we found out that the show was going to come back and when we found out that it was going to transfer and we needed to bring in new performers, we had a different challenge and we knew that we were teaching people something that we had some idea how to do. We didn't know exactly how to do it. And then after a certain point, we were training people to do this job for a year. And I, I don't know about you, but in terms of the shows that I've been involved in, we were lucky to perform it for you know <laughs> like a week or a month um the idea and 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 the idea of um uh inviting someone to do the same thing for a year for me as a creative uh, that sounds like hell and um and the other thing that happened with warhorse for me was that i was in it which i i hadn't intended to be and um and i learned a hell of a lot about um what it is to be in the show and I and it and it has changed my way of relating to performers mm. so the the training in 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 the warhorse tradition and 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 that I've developed since is is about equipping a performer to feel confident improvising creating um particularly because a lot of the puppets that I'm asked to do are animals liveness is more important than um precision actually in a way mm. you know the technique of the puppetry we all need to learn and the technique of the puppet we all need to learn but this this discipline of three or more people um breathing together thinking together understanding each other through the the push and pull in the puppet and the the little nuances of each other's 
bodily movement and body language. Um, this discipline of improvising is, uh, as a unit, is really an extraordinary thing to be part of when you when you do it. And um, and to teach people how to do that, um, you know, we explored all sorts of different exercises. So I've written some of them down so that people can can be less intimidated by it. And there are a lot of books about how to make puppets, but like there are people who are really good at making puppets. You, <laughs> yeah. If you want to learn to be a puppeteer, you don't need to know how to make puppets. It it will make you a better puppeteer if you understand how the puppets work, no question. If you understand what wood is like and what fabric mm -hmm. can do, you know, you need to know your materials, but um, you don't need puppets to learn how to be a puppeteer. You just need paper and sticks and, you know, yeah. stuff. And you can animate things and you can find out how to make your audience see life. And, um, and so the the book and, and I suppose my philosophy is about that is about how do we uh, how do we start to bridge that that gap between the performer and the audience and and sometimes that can feel like a long distance mm -hmm. um, and how can you invite the audience to put their imagination in the puppet that you're holding? Yeah, that's so interesting. That's true. That it's philosophy. At some point, I feel a practitioner have his way of seeing his art or his practice and it's so interesting but I want to hear you also about your goals as a, a, a creator as a director do you have something like you envision for the future what's the next challenge that you you have in <laughs> mind um I mean I think um is to keep working uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean You know, you keep training these puppeteers. There's, there's suddenly, there's so many people around. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, as we we said at the beginning, you know, I love to I love to be challenged, and um, and I think you know a lot of um, directors are, are problem solvers, and um, yeah, I didn't I didn't get into theatre to to play to the biggest audiences. I suppose that's not, it's not necessarily my ambition to be making the biggest show. I'm more motivated by um, developing something in a direction it hasn't been developed in before. And, and how can we, how can we take the puppet to a place that it, it, that we haven't seen it before. And of course, you know, there's such history of puppetry and in a way, so much of it hasn't been recorded. We can, we can assume that someone has done it before. We just weren't there. Uh -huh. But um Uh, puppetry is, is expanding in, in all directions at once. It, it feels like, you know, there are people doing extraordinary spectacular pieces and people doing incredibly intimate things and, and what happens in the abstract puppetry world and with shadows. So I, I feel like we're, we're pushing at the a kind of balloon in all directions at the same time. So I, I like being at the edge of the balloon um, <laughs> and pushing a little bit and stretching a tiny bit. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know what my next challenge will be. It will be something that frightens me and surprises me, um, uh -huh. but I'm, I'm, I'm available. Tell some challenge, give job to Mervyn and give him challenges. He will solve it. <laughs> That's good. We have Nancy who wants to know, to hear again, the name of your book, the title. 
Ah, it's called um, puppetry. Yeah, maybe you can show it. Oh, I'll pick it up again. There we go. Yeah, it's inverted. Yeah, can put it a bit. Is it yeah. inverted? I can't. Yeah. I can't <laughs> going, yeah. Uh, so this is the the book, right? Um, yeah. How so to there's do that. It. Um, and it's on all the 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 text dodging websites and uh, and all of that. Yeah. Um, uh, but yes, and 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 maybe we can we should put the the website in the um, yeah in the in the in the text and and whatever. But um, you know, yeah. we try and keep the Facebook updated. I'm not very good at Instagram and Twitter, but um, <laughs> we do what we can. <laughs> yeah, that that's the tricks. We do what we can and we share it. But we will for sure put the link below. And we have Nancy who say merci, yes, French, and uh, yeah, we have people applauding. <laughs> but so, yeah so cool i want to um ask you uh the like at the end of the interview i always like to have a, a puppet but i i sure i'm sure you don't have the big war horse in your yeah they're all a bit big <laughs> yeah you I mean you did warn me that you would ask me to do this so i you know i mean i have a i have some things around i have a, i have a stick i have one of the sticks that i teach with um workshop participants might recognize this one um no i mean i think what i'm really interested in in the puppets is you know i'm i'm drawn to to mech i'm, I'm fascinated by mechanisms as well when i'm designing it so uh -huh. I, I sometimes keep around little things like this is a mechanism that that um russell beck invented who's a props maker we worked with on the hatchling and it, and it's just two bungees through two sticks but it, it's such a lovely soft um mechanism and the other one is is something that Nick Barnes, I think, who's a brilliant British puppet maker, you should have on the podcast. Um, and, and again, it's with elastics, but it it just it just uh, returns, just uh -huh. everything brings back into place. And it, you know, we're always looking for uh, mechanisms that um, that give you the right amount of resistance. Um, yeah. So I don't have a, I can't do a little a little puppetry thing, but but I. But, I, yeah, I've just got bits. I've got, like, heads and hands and things. Yeah, because you have done stuff for opera. This this reminds me, though. This looks a bit like the Aida. Yeah, I did, we did this opera at the Paris Opera uh, in January through the coronavirus. It was so strange. And in this empty opera house with world-famous opera singers, <laughs> doing this show to an empty theatre. Opera de Paris. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was so excited to, to be there, just to be there at all. Yeah. Um, but... This is from a show in Munich uh, called Stiller, and it's a similar kind of texture. And Ed Dimbleby actually made this. He's a brilliant maker. And, um, you know, I, I, I love it. It, it. This The texture is, is kind of just muffled enough for you to not be able to read it. And, um, and this hand is one that I made a long time ago in a little bit in the handspring style, but it's huge. And... Um, you know, this thing where you give the audience the, the invitation to imagine life and, and you don't have to build the whole puppet. You know, they see the, yeah. they see, they, they, they fill in the gaps and, and, and a lot of the puppets that I've designed and co-designed with, with other designers have big gaps in them. Joe, Joe Lakin and I made this giant lion and, and there was almost nothing there, a head and some paws and, you know, the haunches and, um, the fact that if we'd made a puppet that size, it would have had too much resistance. We wouldn't have, it wouldn't have moved like a cat. And uh -huh. because there was nothing there, we were able to, to get movement out of it that was flexible and springy. And, and the audience's mind 
fills in all the yeah. gaps. So I'm just fascinated by this um, this game we play, you know, yeah. with the audience and say and say, well, look, there's a cat, oh, a giant lion here. Go on, can you imagine it? And they want to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's a kind of magic, you know. And I, I'm working today. I've come from rehearsals at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and we're doing a musical with an elephant. And um, and there's magic in the in in the musical as well. There's uh, an illusion illusionist, and um, I find it so interesting every day contrasting the work that goes into an illusion, a stage illusion, which is so technical and so precise and kind of in, just incredible, um, and the different sort of magic that the puppet is doing by being yeah. without illusion with visible puppeteers um, doing a performance and and doing this extraordinary magic of, of making you believe that there's a character where there is no character. And whether that's done by one person with a little puppet or whether that's done by, you know, four people with an elephant or 15 people with a, with a giant dragon in the hatchling, it, it's a sort of miracle, you know, and, and it's, um, it's a privilege to keep working with it. <laughs> yes, totally. I totally agree on the magic aspect of it. And we have people who remember remember the, the stick. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Emily. Who is watching? So yeah, we have uh, some people watching from from Mexico. Yeah, alien. Yeah, Mexico people are. Yeah, and this is a question: the the size matter, like in your project. Do you have like a? A size. I know I saw a picture of the elephant. It's really... <laughs> yeah, I am available to, to work with small puppets. Um, <laughs> um, it's... Um, I think the challenges are different, you know, and and to be a puppetry specialist is a, is a kind of ludicrous thing because, you know, there was a stage in my career when I, I think I was doing two or three working with... One of the nice things about working as a puppetry director is that you work with other... With other theatre directors, you're collaborating in different styles all the time. Mm -hmm. But you would, I would be going into one rehearsal room and working with shadow puppetry and people doing incredibly detailed, subtle movements in an abstract thing, playing with with the idea of the screen and the, and then, you know, the next day you're trying to tell someone how to operate a giant puppet on a backpack harness. <laughs> and um, and trying to problem solve, you know, some big staging thing. You're thinking this is not a specialism. This is, this is like this is like different worlds. Um, and each and each of those um, each of those characters has different has a radically different challenge. And it, it's um, uh, so the size uh, doesn't matter to me, <laughs> except for that it has its own particular. Um, particular challenge for you, and and yeah, when when I look at the the big puppets, I think, how, how can we make something so big feel soft or fluid or yeah. sensitive? Because for me, the times when I'm most um, engaged with the puppets, um, you know, I like them when they're funny, and I like them when they're amazing and impressive and spectacular. But I I really like them when they when they feel and think and yeah. um, and to make an audience see uh, an artificial object um, move and think and feel emotions, that 
that's for me is the is the pinnacle of what we do yes so cool that's that's such a like a harmonical way of explaining our job like it's it's something with the audience for sure and uh yeah mervin we are almost at the end of our interview i want to ask you if people want to reach you want to know more about your work want to see pictures where they should look um yes well we'll make sure we put it in the in the comments box but yeah. um significantobject.com um and the facebook page of significant object um is the is the best place to start and um yeah buy the book Yeah. Yeah. Buy the book. <laughs> That's great. Mervin, it was amazing. We have Emily who say hi also. <laughs> yes. And uh, that was really, really interesting. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to see your next challenge. And for sure, you, you definitely make a difference in the world of puppetry by war horse, but all of those challenges that you accomplished, bringing puppet to opera. It's really a, a pleasure to have a pioneer in the challenging world of puppetry. <laughs> Thank you. I have some very good people to work with. So uh, uh, it, it's, always a, it's always a collaboration. Yeah, that's part of the secret. Surround yourself with good people. And yes, that's true. So Mervyn, I will push you out of the screen, but stay in the virtual studio. We can chat after this. Okay. So say bye to Marvin, everyone. Au revoir. Au revoir. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. And yeah, stay in touch with us. We have another um, interview tomorrow with uh, a, a puppeteer who's working with Disney. So I, I won't ruin the secret. But yes, just have a look. It's tomorrow night. And we have this workshop coming on the weekend. So feel free to join us. Have a look on our Patreon community page here is the address oh 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 sorry i i'm in my virtual studio with all of those stuff so have a look it's patreon.com slash puppet podcast and we have plenty of tools and we want to connect everyone and if you need help with promotion how to promote your puppetry work online feel free to reach to us we give give advice we have workshop coaching and and stuff especially for social media marketing stuff so yeah Everyone, I know you know, but it's the little commercial at the end of the show. So have a nice day if you are in America or a nice evening if you are in Europe. And yes, yeah, stay tuned for another episode of the Puppet Podcast. We see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.